unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, copywriters, we are back. This is the Copywriters Podcast with the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Oh, doing great, Nathan. How about yourself? I'm excited. We laid a great foundation last week on what the big idea is. And I, I wanted to kind of start off this week's episode expressing some of my own frustrations because we kind of hinted at it last week. But uh, when I first started copywriting, and even to this day, it's one of the it's one of the concepts. It's one of the um, aspects of copywriting that I still struggle with, and I I made mention of it that I think a lot of people do because I even see very well known copywriters that either omit the big idea completely or maybe just don't do a very a very good job of of actually uh, integrating the concept of a big idea into their copywriting. And when we were talking on the phone about this episode, uh, we were. We were kind of just shooting ideas back and forth, and I wanted to kind of get your take on it. Sure. Do you think that uh, Do you think that this is something that a lot of copywriters struggle with? It seems like it's so poorly executed, even from copywriters that I look up to, copywriters that I respect, uh, that I learn a lot from. It It seems like even some of the biggest, best known copywriters kind of struggle with integrating a big idea into their sales copy. Sure. Well, yeah, just uh, since it's been a week, let's review in a sentence or two what a big idea is. A big idea is not the product. It's a big idea is a a new breathtaking breakthrough way to sell a product. And it involves quite a process to come up with one. Now, I agree with you. A lot of people don't use it. I also want to say that it's much more necessary to have a big idea you know something that's you know literally going to make a dent in the universe as steve jobs said or you know open up a whole new market for an existing product as gene schwartz said it's much more necessary when you have something that's going out to millions or even tens hundreds of millions even billions of people and I mean, you know, the the examples we had last week, um, well, the iPhone, I I don't know how many billions of iPhones have been sold. Uh, The Wall Street Journal, I don't know how many subscriptions were sold, but $2 billion worth were sold with the two young men letter. So a a big idea at taking, you know, to sort of the Olympic level is really when you're 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 going for it in a big way. However, there's there's sort of a a gradient or a spectrum between a big idea and copy that's not particularly inspired or inspiring. And we can talk about different points along the path, but uh, you might uh, jump to the conclusion that some copywriters don't do it because they're you know. As my friend Lewis Wasser says, a, a few sandwiches short of a picnic. I don't think that's the reason. Uh, I think it's more that they don't know how or they don't have enough time to come up with a 
uh, I mean, think about the Steve Jobs notion of 100 good ideas that you reject to focus on the one that you stay focused on. Well, those good ideas, maybe every one of them could have been a big idea. They don't, they don't just come with the snap of a finger. Uh, that, that, that takes a creative process, which we'll talk about. And that creative process takes time and it takes input. It takes research and it, it takes going beneath the surface. It takes working at the level of the unconscious mind, which is not all that difficult since you're already doing it all the time, just may not be aware of it or, or particularly used to directing it. So that's a long way of saying, yeah, I agree with you, but yeah, it may not always be such a major flaw. And uh, I, I'd really love for you to recap, Nathan, your your search for the Holy Grail, your attempts to find out what a big idea really is and how to come up with one. And I, I, I don't think anyone will mind hearing your frustrations because they may have gone through the same thing and it'll make them feel, make them realize there's nothing wrong with them. The information hasn't been out there until today. Yeah. So really you kind of mentioned that coming up with a big idea and, and implementing it properly. It's really like pulling out the big guns. It's uh, it's, it's, it's next level copywriting. It's something that, uh, takes a lot of time to develop. It takes a lot of time even to grasp the concept of it. So before I kind of get into why this troubled me so much, and I'm sure that it probably dumbfounds a, a lot of, uh, copywriters. Um, let's start with your warning because if, if any episode <laughs> deserves the word of, of warning before it, this one definitely does. Well, thank you. I got so excited about what we're talking about. I almost forgot, but it's important to realize that copy is powerful and you, the listener are responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need, but if you make extreme claims and, or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries, like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Yeah, and I said that um, I said that more than ever, this episode needs that because this type of pulling out the big guns is uh, it's probably more often than not going to be used for some of those very um, exclusive industries that definitely need some guidance. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. From, you know, just from a lawyer in terms of keeping the copywriter and, and the marketer out of trouble. But the, the other thing to point out is when we're talking about a big gun here, we're talking about a, a bazooka where, I mean, we're talking about a cannon, you know, we're talking about, you know, one of those things attached to a fighter, a rocket launcher, maybe, because a big idea is about the most powerful thing in copy, in marketing, in advertising, period. Yeah. So when I first came across the term big idea, and this was years ago, I was reading um, Ready, Fire, Aim by a gentleman that writes under the pen name of Michael Masterson. And mm -hmm. in that book, he talks, he goes deep into all different types of, of copy platforms and elements of sales copy and elements of marketing. 
And I would recommend the book. I think it's still one of my favorite books on business. And uh, I have it. I like it. I think it's a great book, too. Yeah, I've, I've read it probably 15, maybe more than 15 times. Um, and he mentions the, the big idea, and he, t- he tries to lay out, and, and I'm not going to knock him. This is definitely not a knock towards the author at all, but he, the, he goes into the big idea, and it's probably one of the weakest parts of the book, and that I don't want to say weak as in he does a horrible job, but compared to everything else that he lays out, he, he superbly explains every other point. But that one, even by the you know 10th or 15th reading of it, I still was fuzzy on how to come up with the big idea of a, of a sales piece. And obviously, as a copywriter, as somebody that works with other businesses, and I go through and I, I help them come up with the benefits of their product, and I come up with the unique selling proposition of their product and help them come up with different templates and different ways to um, pitch the idea and pick the media that we're going to, and, and why certain media is better for theirs versus other media coming up with the big idea for, for marketing campaigns and copywriting campaigns, being able to explain what we need to accomplish when coming up with the big idea still up until our conversation yet, uh, Yesterday, last night, before we started recording this episode, I was still fuzzy on it. And I've written a lot of copy for a lot of companies. And the way that Mark, or I'm sorry, the way that Michael explains it in that book. Um, and, and, and you looked at, I think you said you've, you've looked elsewhere. You've tried to yeah. find this everywhere, right? You've oh, yeah. looked at a lot of different copywriting books and courses. Uh-huh. And I've taken some courses from some of the best known A-list copywriters out there, people that uh, me and you have talked to me and you have talked about um, mm-hmm. read books by some of the, the greatest copywriters in history. And this concept of the big idea, I've never really seen it touched upon other than in that one book. And then in conversations that we've had, but it's, it's such like, it's like the Holy grail of copywriting. And I don't know if it's just so hard to explain or if it's just so far beyond what the average copywriter is even going to be able to tackle that it's very rarely referenced, but uh, I've never found a good explanation of it. And I've struggled explaining it to my clients. And the best explanation that I've ever been able to give up until when we were talking yesterday, the best explanation I've ever been able to give was, well, the big idea is kind of like a golden thread. I've heard you mention that. Uh, it's kind of like the golden thread that weaves the whole piece together, and we're going to come up with it by picking the one benefit that we really want to focus on and tying it to a concept or uh, something that's relatable to the to the reader, something that they can identify with, and then they can use what they already know, the concept that they can already understand, and they can tie it with the main benefit and uh, and that's what the big idea of this of this copy campaign or this copy this piece of copy is going to be, and yeah. even that is just it, it works and it helps get to it, but it's it's not fulfilling for me. Well, yeah, I mean that you know what you just said is brilliant, and it it will work. Um, I would I would say for ninety ninety five percent of of copy that gets written. In, in business and B2B and consumer stuff, 
and and it, it's it's much better than what a lot of other copywriters do, where they just try and put a big benefit, or they they will swipe a John Carlton headline or a Gary Halbert headline or a Dan Kennedy headline unthinkingly. I mean, what you're talking about is original and it will work. It's not what I would call a big idea. But see, uh, let's talk about big ideas. Remember from last week, the the concept of the Wall Street Journal letter where um, two young men graduate on a level playing field from the same college and 25 years later, one's the CEO and one's a department manager. Or what you brought up, Steve Jobs, uh, the way he sold, you know, just another MP3 player, except he called it an iPod. But the words he used were 10,000 songs in your pocket. That's a big idea. There's another one we talked about last night, and I think this was the one that really lit you up um, in a good way. <laughs> and And that was something Agora Financial came up with. I don't know what the sales letter was, but it was oil under the Eiffel Tower or oil found under the Eiffel Tower. And it wasn't really about, you know, shale or reserves or, um, you know, pockets of of oil uh, or natural gas found under the Eiffel Tower. It was about, I think, some investment opportunity involving petroleum that had something to do with France or Paris. And what made this so good is that the Eiffel Tower is more than something that's relatable. It's an icon. You know, I, I remember when my mother, um, she she passed away four years ago, and she had one of the cruelest diseases, one of the cruelest, dementia. But she had always loved France. And so one thing I did to... A try to cheer her up was I, I bought her a small replica of the Eiffel Tower, and she really loved that. I, I think people dream about the Eiffel Tower. You can put the image of it up on a PowerPoint or a keynote slide, and people instantly think of France and Paris, you know? No question. It's like the Empire State Building or the Golden Gate Bridge, right? It's just the Great Wall of China. It's one of those icons that that is deep, deep, deep in our consciousness. And and then saying something as unusual and really improbable and incongruous as oil, and then bringing it home by saying, well, you can make money with a petroleum investment related to France. So nobody feels like, oh, I've been snookered. Oh, that was a metaphor rather than a literal statement. They go, yeah, I want to make money with oil. Yeah, right. And so it attracts attention. It it sets the frame. Coming up with something like that ain't easy, and it ain't fast, and it ain't always the first great idea that you come up with when you're when you're going through the process we're going to talk about today. I, I can only imagine, but to come up with an idea like that, when you told me that one, I was just like, oh, it brings together this vision in your mind of potential it brings together this image of your mind of exclusivity of luxury of iconic iconism if that's a word um mm-hmm. it's it, it's just when you when you say would you like to invest in a potential opportunity in oil in france that's so boring but when you say it's like finding oil under the eiffel tower 
that's so powerful. And yeah. I can only imagine that to get to that oil under the Eiffel Tower, they probably had to reject, like you're saying, probably a hundred ideas before they got to that one or before they decided this is the one we're going all in on. Yeah, I, I want to read this Steve Jobs quote. It's real quick. Um, just to set the context again, he said, people think focus means saying yes to the thing you've got to focus on. But that's not what it means at all. It means saying no to the other 100 good ideas that are out there. You have to pick carefully. So that that's absolutely right. Uh, I don't know who wrote the piece. Uh, maybe it was Jack Ford. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. He's, he's an Agora copywriter living in Paris. But wh whoever did, yeah, I'd, I'd love to actually talk to him someday and find out wh what they went through. Let, let's talk about how you do this. Hey, let me ask you something. How would you like a complete copywriting course packed into a $10 Kindle book? Yeah? Then let me invite you to try Breakthrough Copywriting. It's only $10, and it's available now on Amazon as a Kindle. Breakthrough Copywriting was originally a $5,000 live seminar I held in Las Vegas. People flew in from all over the world to attend Breakthrough Copywriting. This Kindle book, by the same name, is a complete version of my four presentations at the seminar. If you would like to dig into copywriting basics or refresh the knowledge you already have, then you'll really like Breakthrough Copywriting. A-listers like John Carlton, Joe Sugarman, and Bob Bly give this book an A+, and you can read the reviews right on the Amazon site. This episode of the Copywriters Podcast is sponsored by Breakthrough Copywriting. Check this book out at Amazon.com today. And now, back to the Copywriters Podcast program, already in progress. Let's talk about how you do this, okay? So when Steve Jobs said, you say no to 100 good ideas before you say yes, it's not like you have an idea tree in your backyard and you go out <laughs> and you just pick the good ones and, and then you put them on the table and say, oh, this one's a, it, it's not that way at all. I can't say ideas don't grow on trees, but I've never... <laughs> I, I, you know, even very creative people have to do a lot of work to come up with one good idea. And I, I, I want to point out something about that hundred number. You know, Stanford University is in Silicon Valley, not in Stanford in Palo Alto, not too far from Cupertino, where the Apple campus is. Stanford has the it's the most selective university in the world. It has an acceptance rate of five percent. Okay. Now, I'm pointing this out for a reason. Five of every 100 people who apply to Stanford get in. But according to Steve Jobs, one of every 100 ideas that apply to Apple gets in. Okay, so you, you see, we are, we are really talking about a very selective, um, labor-intensive process to get all the way to the top. And again, I, I want to point out, what we're going to talk about today is good if you use only a part of it. If you do something like what you came up with, which is only a part of it, your copy will be way ahead of most other copy in your niche and possibly will become the leader and dominate. So uh, it's important to look at what the very best people under, do under the most stringent circumstances, but it's you may not have to go that far, but but, but let's let's talk about how how you do it, okay? Okay. So the key thing is going through the process of coming up with great ideas 
not in a hurry, not skipping steps, not rushing. And when you come up with one that's good, that's good enough to run with, that's good enough to publish in an ad or to mail in a letter or to, you know, use a Facebook ad campaign to get to a sales page, you've just come up with one. You don't stop there. You come up with one or two or three. You may not have to come up with a hundred, but um, you you want to come up with at least half a dozen. That that was the number that Richard Armstrong told me the the best A-list copywriters typically come up with. Now, how do you come up with any given one good idea? Well, it it involves research, and it involves a lot of research. And there are different kinds of research that you do. First, and, you know, we've covered the kind of research you do on, on the podcast on, on research and probably a little on, on some of the other ones, but I'll, I'll review it here. It's within your field. Um, you research your own product. You, you take it apart. You look at the features and you look at the features and come up with benefits. You think about the user experience and, and what, what it's like for people to use it and why that's better, different, cheaper, faster, more convenient, all kinds of things. That's for one. Then you look at competitors' products. You may want to put together a grid of your product against competitors' products to find the advantages you have. You look at competitors' marketing. You look at what they're saying. You look at customer comments on Amazon and other online review sites about maybe your product, maybe other people's products, things in that field, you find out as much as you can what's on the mind of people. That's that's just your first level of research. Now, why are you doing all of this? Well, it's it's not so you can become a walking encyclopedia on your product. It's not so you can go into a cocktail party and tell people, you know, fascinating, unusual things <laughs> about your product. It's for the creative process. And did, did you ever read Think and Grow Rich, Nathan? Oh, yes. I think uh, I think everybody listening has probably read Think and Grow Rich. Okay. I, I know I've read it a lot of times, and I've been in a number of masterminds based on the principles in that book. It's great. Um, so there, there's one thing in there that's very important. People don't always talk about it, but it's the notion of synthetic creativity versus original creativity. And, and this is really important as it applies to the big idea. Original creativity is, there are very few people who can do it. Um, I don't know of anybody. I read about somebody in Thinking Grow Rich. There probably are people today who are good at this. They, you know, sometimes get hired by, by large corporations and they get sequestered into you know, a room or a uh, location of their own uh, choosing and design. They come up with these great ideas just sort of in a vacuum. Uh, so I, I believe there are people like that. I don't know any. I don't think I know of any. But then there's another kind of creativity, and that's called synthetic creativity. And it's not synthetic like phony or like plastic. It's synthetic like synthesis. And synthetic creativity and its most basic form is you take two existing ideas and you combine them 
into a new one. Uh, I'll I'll give you a really silly example, and I'm sure we can come up with some more serious ones. So you have a pet, like a dog or a cat, and you see a rock. So you combine the idea of a pet and a rock, and you come up with a pet rock. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in and add an, an example of my own, if that's okay. Yeah, please do. So there's a DJ, and he did mixtapes where he would take background music from one song and lyrics from another song and create new pieces of work. And a few years back, he took the Beatles white album and he took Jay-Z, a rapper, he took uh, Jay-Z's black album <laughs> and he took the That's two great. and he, he created out of, uh, out of uh, background music from the Beatles and lyrics from Jay-Z, he created a piece of work called the gray album <laughs> And it's the perfect example of synthesis and uh, synthetic creativity because it was a brilliant work of creativity, but he didn't come up with anything that, that wasn't there. He took two things that were there, combined them, and came up with something new. And that in itself is creative. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how, how the intellectual property protection works and all that, but that's, that's a different issue. That's great. That's perfect. That's a different type of copywriting. <laughs> yes, it is. That's, that's <laughs> the circle C. So, so yeah, that, that's, that's a good example, too. And um, so whether it's music or whether it's pet rocks or, or whether it's a thousand songs, 10,000 songs in your pocket or whether it's the Wall Street Journal letter, this is taking some existing ideas and, and reorganizing them and recombining them. Okay. And that's synthetic creativity, but that's, that's just where you start. I mean, and Oh, by the way, for, for a, a lot of promotions, you, you could stop the tape right here. Uh, please keep listening, but you can stop right here. That's all you need for a big idea though. You, you need to go further. And that's where you start to research outside your field. That's where you start to, you know, uh, I think when Steve Jobs, and I'll keep bringing him back because he's such a great example of creativity that turns into money. I think when he was designing the original Macintosh before it be called, became a Mac, it's called the Macintosh, and uh, he would go into department stores and he would study toasters and juicers and blenders just to look at how they were designed and how they were designed a little differently than IBM computers. Right. Um, and I mean, so that's going outside your field entirely because never, I've never had a computer. that's anything like a juicer and I have, I'm, I have a lot of Macs now and none of them is like a toaster. And the day it becomes a toaster, I'm in trouble. So that's research outside your field. And, and sometimes it's it's related, and, and sometimes it's totally off the wall. So let me let me give you an example of how you might find something totally off the wall. And I don't know if these are big ideas, but this is this is different. Now this is something Gary Halbert used to do a lot. It was very good. He would he would find really strange facts and use them to open a newsletter or a sales letter. Um, and it, it, it has to be something that's interesting. It's, it's, it's a different twist than 
um, oil under the Eiffel Tower. So I was opening up the July-August 2017 Playboy magazine, okay? And there is a page of odd facts, and here is one. According to a survey, 28% of millennials say if you've met a new person and you want to figure out if you're in love with them, having sex is a good way to do that. And the same survey found that 57% of millennials say they're lonely. And Playboy asked, could one statistic have something to do with the other one? So here's an idea. Could you use these two statistics to create a big idea to sell relationship counseling to millennials? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here's, Here's another little tidbit. Um, the following are from TSA's list of the top 10 strangest items in 2016 found at security checkpoints at the airport. A baseball hat wrapped in barbed wire. <laughs> Dead seahorses. A life-size zombie. Well, this, it was actually a movie prop. <laughs> but <laughs> someone was trying to carry on a life-size zombie uh, to play. So here's an idea. Could you use, could you use these, these, uh, factoids to sell seats on private jets? Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. It's different, right? Um, and, and finally this one from Playboy, 8% of Americans think it's okay to take a selfie at a funeral. Oh, wow. Uh, I don't know what you could use that to sell but maybe some of our more creative listeners will have an idea, you know, find me or Nathan on Facebook. Okay. So (laughs) real quick, I just want to jump in. Yeah. These seem like obscure factoids, things that uh, would have no relevance, but if you can tie them in, I don't want people to glaze over and think that, um, well, why would David be telling us this? Because the, the fact is, is if you could tie, one of these weird factoids into something that you're selling, it's attention grabbing, it's thought provoking. And if you can take the idea and tie it into a purchasing decision, it's very powerful. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. Thanks for saying that. You know, um, one of the things about creative people, not just in copywriting and not just in marketing, but really in, in science and engineering and anything is they see connections where other people don't see them. Now, the interesting thing is you can train yourself. You can learn to do that. And so the the examples I gave you were off the wall, but you see in, in two, two out of three cases, I came up with plausible ideas that could be developed for marketing that would, you know, I mean, I, I had a friend who was, um, you know, a couples counselor, and I'm not sure he would have had the temperament to use that, but I I guarantee you that's (laughs) a lot different than anything he ever did in in his ads or, or anything else I've ever seen for that matter. So, but, but, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing Halbert might've done or Carlton might've done, or I might do, obviously I were writing that kind of ad. And what a lot of this is, is it's not creating dots out of nothing. It's not creating a big idea out of nothing. It's taking two existing dots, drawing a line to connect them, and that line becomes the big idea. Yeah, thank you. That's the point. And it's not just 
any two random dots either. You, you, <laughs> you know, you got to turn over a lot of dots to find two that will connect. So here's sort of a, a way to use your brain or a, a way to, to set your, your focus. You can research sales letters and marketing materials in markets other than yours and not necessarily steal the words, but borrow the concepts, the principles, you know, you know, dig into how they're doing what they're doing and why they're doing it, especially successful ones. You can read books that have nothing to do with your market, maybe nothing to do with business at all. You can really get ideas from anywhere once you know what you're looking for. Um, and this is because of a, uh, a very small part of the brain called the reticular activating system, which is something in the, the lizard brain, really, the, the, the base part of the brain. It's, it's, a, it's nerves that connect the spinal cord, the um, cerebrum, the cerebellum, and uh, in other words, different parts of the brain will, it's like a, a GPS you can use your brain like a GPS. You can use your brain like a search engine for your overall awareness. And a, a perfect example of that is you remember on the last episode where I mentioned the Jordan Peterson idea about creativity as people being on the island and the creative people were the ones on the shore bringing the future into the present? Mm -hmm. That was my reticular activating system because I saw that a day before I put together the show notes for um, these two episodes and I, I would have found it interesting, but otherwise unimportant if I hadn't been looking for different examples or, or different ways of explaining the big idea. So because your mind was subconsciously geared to look for that stuff, when that instance popped out, it had a whole new level of, of meaning and impact on you. Yeah. And my point is, I'm not the only one who can do this. You can do this. Anyone can do this. It, you might not be able to do it in the first try, but it, the, the reticular activating system is always waiting to be programmed to look for things. I mean, if it doesn't, it will default to, to look for danger and, and possibly to look for food opportunities, love, safety, you know, but if, if you have something a little more specific, give it a try. And, you know, just it, I mean, that's, that's a lot of, that's what affirmations and, and goal setting is all about are all about is simply, you know, focusing your awareness on certain things so that when the opportunities come, you'll seize them. Yeah. And what's really great about all of this is it kind of ties back to, to coming up with the big idea, what you're doing in a big idea is you're helping people create a connection between those two otherwise um, unconnected ideas. So you're, you're really tapping into some of the, the uh, most subconscious elements of the brain and helping create that connection for people. And that, that's well stated. It, it, it's, it's sort of deep. So let me try and break that down a little. So the big idea is often a connection between two unrelated ideas. But when you connect those two unrelated ideas in a big idea, it has a very powerful effect on the subconscious mind of the reader, which prepares them 
for what you're about to say and how you're about to transition into talking about your product. Yeah. So a, a, a lot of this has to do with, you know, taking advantage of of the capabilities and the gifts of the unconscious mind. Yeah. So I feel fairly confident that we have covered some territory that I've never seen covered before. And I don't know if there's anything out there that really goes in, in as deep as we went in, in these past two episodes. If people do want to uh, look for some resources though, or to kind of flesh out this a little bit more, where would you suggest people go for resources on, on uh, kind of exploring the big idea and, and how it could apply to their copy uh, a little bit more in depth? Well, unfortunately, I don't know of any. Putting together the show notes for this took uh, a lot more uh, brainstorming and searching and rewriting uh, than any any other episode we've done and it turned into two episodes, but there is a book that will get you started on this path. I think for this path, you, you simply need to understand it's a process of going through the steps we're talking about. And it's, it's a process of learning to develop one idea and then to keep going. Uh, and that's the hard part. That's the hard part. Developing the first idea is not nearly as hard as going, Oh, that might not be it. I need to keep going sort of a, a blow to the ego, but there's a book that will get you um, far along the path of learning to develop good ideas, creative ideas, um, ideas like, of the type you were talking about that can, that can sell, that can sell a lot that could sell millions of dollars. I, I would say that, um, you know, I've had sales letters that have sold in, you know, millions has had one that sold 40 million. I don't think they had big ideas, but they had good creative ideas um, I, because none of those were going to a mass market. But you don't need to be able to do this to do really, really well. But to get started, there's a book called A Technique for Producing Ideas by James Webb Young, who is a copywriter in Chicago. He's written a few other books, but this one is the best for creativity and for starting on the path to learning how to do this. And I put the, we put the Amazon link in the show notes, right? We will. Yes. Okay. That's good. So that's about the best I can offer. And, you know, listen to this podcast again, and maybe a third time and find other people who are creative to work with. Uh, maybe work with me, uh, maybe work with Nathan, maybe work with somebody else who has experience doing this, you know? Yeah. And I just want to emphasize how important these last two episodes were, because like I said, this is something that I've heard mentioned or kind of, uh, alluded at very frequent or very infrequently in the copywriting world. And I'm knee deep in this stuff. I eat, sleep and breathe copywriting. And rarely hear the big idea mentioned or explained. And what you've gone through for these last two episodes is the biggest deep dive into the concept that I've ever come across. So uh, I, I just want to say thank you for providing this just invaluable exploration into the subject, David. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you have been witness to a breakthrough. <laughs> awesome. So what do we got next week, David? Next week, we got when copy isn't enough. You know, the old saying of when all you got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. Well, 
copy is wonderful and copy can close a lot of sales and copy can close big sales, but sometimes it's better not to lean entirely on copy, but to use it as one tool in a larger toolkit. And I want to explore that because uh, I'm not trying to diminish the value of copy. I still think it's about the most valuable skill a person can have and about the best path to freedom and independence a person can take. But sometimes you need to integrate copy with a few other things. And we'll talk about what that is next time. All right. Well, you've got my, my curiosity is peaked. So I can't wait until next week. Until then, everybody out there have a wonderful day. Thanks. Bye now. If you found this show valuable and you'd like to get it in the ears of other people, the best way to do that is to subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes.